Today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 through Hebrews 11, verse 16. To hear the word of our Lord. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promises. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore also there was born of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All of these died in faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of the Lord we're focusing on today. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Just as you're getting settled, I, as we were singing that last song, uh, I don't know who else noticed that the sunlight kind of broke from behind the clouds and everything in here got brighter. Uh, I was picking up some stuff yesterday, I had to do some work on my house, and um, I was at, unfortunately, at Menards, and I was talking with a person, and this person said, it, it had just started snowing, like spitting snow, and he says, oh, man, this is the worst day of the year. I said, why? He says, well, man, it just started snowing, and now we're going to have this stuff through, you know, March of next year, and I just don't like the snow. And um, I had some words for him, but just this morning... Uh, just seeing the sunlight r reflect off of the snow reminds me of why I love it when it snows here. Um, I didn't grow up with snow, 
you know, in Tennessee, if we had any snow, it turned into ice if, you know, at best, uh, or it was just gone. But what I love about the snow is how it just reflects the sunlight all around us. It's so bright and beautiful. It reminds me of just beholding the glory of God in Christ. The more you look at Christ, the more, the more you see His holiness, His, 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 His white covering of righteousness and love and purity, the more brightly you see the glory of God shining from Him. Right? So, anyway, maybe you follow me in that, but as I saw the sunlight break out on the, on the snow, I was reminded, man, no, I, I, love, I love it when it snows here. Now, I might be feeling I'm ready for it to leave by February, but for now, we can, we can enjoy, enjoy it. Well, today we're going to pick back up in Hebrews, uh, this section in Hebrews, and um, uh, we're not going to make it uh, through verse 1 this morning of Hebrews chapter 11, so we will be coming back to look at this next week. But uh, as we get into this text, would you please pray? Pray with me for the Lord's blessing. Father, it is uh, a wonderful thing to be a creature in your creation and um, to, to see the beauty of the world that you have made and to experience all the things that you have ordered for our lives as we sojourn with you in this foreign land. It's, it's an amazing mark of your grace and your compassion that we live in a place that is so beautiful and that though it is corrupted by sin and uh, the fall, it still bears the marks of your goodness. And um, Lord, I thank you that you've enabled us to see that and that even through creation, as those who are redeemed in Christ, we have been made new. We've been enabled to behold that goodness and that beauty and that glory of our God that is even revealed in creation. And uh, Father, I thank you for every way that even your beauty in creation points us further to the greater glory of God revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I know that you are the object of our faith. And the more clearly we can hold our triune God in view, the stronger our faith will be and the more fully we will live a life of faith. And so I pray that this morning you would expand our understanding of your glory, enlighten our minds and enlarge our hearts so that we might receive a true knowledge and understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and with full hearts live lives that are glorifying to him. Father, as we've, we watched the video this morning, just catching up on this uh, call to be in prayer for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, I pray that their view of who you are would remain big, Lord, and that their perception of their persecutors would be increasingly small. That they would be bold, Lord, as I was speaking with someone yesterday, that they would be unashamed just to stand in the truth and not be afraid of what the world might do to them. And Lord, in so many ways, it's easier for them to understand how to do that than it is for Christians like us who live in these lands where we have so much freedom to stand for you. Even now, we have freedom to stand for you and yet we find it so difficult. And yet these brothers and sisters are unashamed and even joyful in receiving persecution for the sake of standing for your name. Lord, I pray you would comfort them and strengthen them Lord, make their knees strong. Keep them from collapsing under the pressure of persecution and glorify your name through them, even in their death, Lord. Even through martyrs. May the value and the worth and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ be exalted for their persecutors to see. 
Father, we pray for those who are suffering in different ways, even in our own body, or those who have lost loved ones, those who are battling sickness and illness, or those who are in more long-term recovery from injuries. Lord, I, I pray that in all of these different situations and, and in these different seasons of life that you're bringing some of them into, I pray that they would find your grace sufficient for them. Lord, that their faith would be strengthened by these trials, not weakened by it. Lord Jesus, pray for their faith as you did for Peter's, that it would not fail. Lord, let them stand firm in your promises, regardless of what their eyes see around them. Let them know that your way is better, that your promises are true, and that Christ is far more glorious than what they would leave behind or lose in this world. Lord, let you, I pray that your truth would be their stay and their hope as they walk through these trials. And I do ask that you would bring recovery for them, Lord, and, and allow them to be restored to the corporate assembly of your people. And so, Father, I pray for them. I pray for us as well, that now as we turn to your word, you would bless it, or that you would fill our hearts with a sense of your glory and give us a greater understanding of your truth. Lord, guard my mouth. May I not say anything unhelpful or untrue. And, Lord, please, please help us. Help us worship you now in the preaching and in the hearing of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, this morning we're going to jump right back into where we left off last week. I don't have a fun story to share with you to get us into this text, but uh, we'll just jump right back in where we left off. We've already noticed a couple of things in Hebrews 11 that are dealing with the, the, uh, the importance of faith, really. We're seeking to understand faith as a means of grace in relation to the Christian life. How do we live a life of faith for the glory of God in the name of Jesus Christ? Last week we saw that faith is actually a means of grace that believers are to use. For example, in Hebrews 10.36, those who will receive the full riches of God's promised reward in Christ are those who do the will of God. And how is the will of God defined in this section of Scripture? Well, verse 38 defines that for us where God says, My righteous one shall live by faith. That is God's will for us no matter what we're going through or what we're doing. It's that we would be doing whatever it is in faith right, unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who live that way are those whom God calls righteous. They are my righteous ones. And so we saw last week, faith is a gift, but it is a gift that we are responsible to use. In fact, Jamie and I were talking yesterday morning about this, and she brought up uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and the armor of God. You remember one of those pieces of armor that God has given us is the shield of faith, right? What do you do with the shield? You take it up. You use it, as it says in Ephesians 6, 16, to uh, uh, catch or uh, protect yourself from the flaming darts of the enemy. So faith is something that is to be used. It's something that we have to learn to work out in our day-to-day -day lives if we will be those who do the will of God and receive what's been promised. Now, we also saw uh, one reason why faith is important. Faith is important because a life of faith is the only way that any of us are going to live a life that is pleasing to God. Not works, not trying to just be a better person, not trying to turn over a new leaf or be a good person, but no, it is living a life of faith in God and in His Christ and holding fast to nothing but His promises or it is nothing at all. As verse 38 says, my righteous one is the one who lives by faith, but God says, and if he shrinks back, that is, if he draws away from living a life of faith, then my soul has no pleasure in him. Now, that's simply a graphic way for God to say to us that if we will not live a life of faith, 
then to the very depths of his eternal being, we are repugnant to him. He has no pleasure in us. Now, there's a second reason I didn't get to last week, but just let me mention it briefly. There's a second reason why faith is so important for the Christian life. And that is that faith is what God uses to preserve our souls for glory. You see this in verse 39. I've been trying to get away with not using these today because I look ridiculous in them. But I think I've got to use them. You see this in verse 39. If we have faith, we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but we are those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. So the preserving of the soul is the end for which faith is preserving us, right? Faith is working to bring us to this goal, that our souls would be kept, that they would be protected. And this is exactly what Peter brings out in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, where he says that those who have, there it is, those who have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ are destined to receive an inheritance. And it describes that inheritance as being imperishable, undefiled, and one that will not fade away. But notice what verse 5 says. We've been born again through the resurrection of Christ unto this living hope to receive this as our inheritance. But how are we going to get there? How are we going to reach the end of that inheritance and actually become those who receive it? Well, it says in verse 5 that we, we were going we to get there by the power of God working through faith to keep us for this salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That is, faith is the means or the tool by which the power of God operates in us. And its purpose is to keep us and to protect us until we actually receive the full inheritance in Christ. Now, this is really what Hebrews 11 is going to go on to demonstrate. Right? It's going to give us example after example of those whom God has preserved through the exercise of faith. It's going to teach us what it looks like to live a life of faith and to be kept by God and to reach the end where we actually obtain the testimony from God that we were righteous in his sight. How is that going to happen? It's going to happen by faith. And so we have these examples listed in the rest of Hebrews that is telling us that reality. Now, my intention today was to work all the way through verse 16 and look at some of those examples. But there is something that needs to be settled first before we get to that. In fact, the more that I've thought through this passage, the more I've realized just how much weight in this section is resting on what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 1 of chapter 11. In this entire section of Hebrews, what it's ultimately dealing with as it's describing the importance of faith, all of our understanding of what it's talking about actually hinges upon what verse 1 says about faith. So I have here, and the more you read through the section, the more you read through Hebrews 10 and 11 and 12, the more you realize that everything, everything else that is being said about faith in this section hinges on whether or not we understand what is being said in verse 1. In other words, before we can go unpack what faith does or what it looks like, we need to understand what faith is. And that is what Hebrews 11:1 is doing. Now, let me give a warning to you all as... Uh, I felt really uncomfortable about this message. The reason why I feel uncomfortable about it is because we're going to get pretty technical here at the beginning. And it's probably going to continue on for a little bit. I don't want you to be lost in that. The only reason why we're going into this technical understanding of what this verse is saying is so that we can grasp more fully what the real nature of faith is. Because you're never going to learn how to live a life of faith if you don't understand what the nature of that faith is. People have all kinds of understanding of what it means to live a life of faith. But if we don't have a biblical understanding of what faith is, then we are not going to live a life that is in accordance with it. So today, what I want to do is I just want to focus in on verse 1 and see if we can unpack this definition of faith that the Holy Spirit gives us in this verse. It's going to get technical. Stay with me. Be patient with me. Give me grace. And uh, Lord willing, at the end of this, we will all be strengthened to live a life that's honoring to God in faith. Now, what I want to know is first, 
I want to notice how faith is defined in this verse. You notice in verse 11, the Holy Spirit says, faith is, right, that's the language of definition. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, this is the closest that we get to an actual definition of faith in the entire Bible. Faith is, it's described all over the place. You can find examples of what faith looks like and what faith does all over the scriptures. But this is the one place where we actually find something that is a, that is a definition of faith itself. Now, it's not telling us everything that we need to know about faith. It's not describing faith fully. It's not an all-encompassing definition. But what it is doing is it's focusing our attention upon the essence of faith. What is the heart of true saving faith? What is the heart of a faith that perseveres to the end? Well, that is what this verse is telling us. It's giving us those core elements that belong to all true saving and persevering faith. And it listed as two things. It gives us two things that are the essence of faith. You notice, first of all, in verse 1, that faith is defined simply as assurance. Or at least according to this translation, Faith is assurance. It is assurance of things hoped for. Does anyone else have a different trans... So I like the NASB and I like the ESV. Does anyone else have a different translation of the scriptures in here right now? I know you do. One of you, can you read it loud? Nick, why don't you read it, read it loud for me? Make sure everybody can hear you now. Yours says assurance? Are you kidding? What do you have? Okay. What do you have, brother? Yeah, read the New King James for me. Okay, faith is not the assurance of things hoped for, but faith is the substance of things hoped for. There's a world of difference between those two translations. Do you understand how? Well, let's talk about it for a second. I love the NASB, and I love the ESV at times. Uh, it can be pretty frustrating. But if I were translating this verse, I would not choose the word assurance for this word that appears here in verse 1 of chapter 11. Because that leaves the Holy Spirit's meaning here in this verse open to being misunderstood. Now, when I think of the word assurance, or when you think of the word assurance, we normally think of something like having confidence, right? That we, we have a conviction or a certainty about something. We have assurance about it, right? For example, in the statement, if I said... I have faith that it's all going to work out. What is that really communicating? What that's communicating is that I am confident or I am certain that everything is going to be okay. Right? I have an assurance of it. And I'll admit, I want to be clear, that assurance in that way of understanding it is part of what it means to have faith. In order to put your trust in someone or to put your trust in something, you have to be assured that he, she, or it is actually trustworthy. You have to have a sense that he is trustworthy, right? However, if we understand assurance like this as, as something that we have, as a conviction that we have, or a certainty that we have, then I think we miss the point that is being made. What this does is it makes faith defined by the effect that faith has on me rather than the very essence of what that faith is. You follow me? Saying that faith is my assurance of things hoped for is now making faith something that is subjectively defined by how it affects me. And that's not what the Spirit is saying here. What we're dealing with when we're talking about the nature of faith, we're talking about what faith is in its substance, right? What it is as an object. 
Now, if I said faith is the assurance of things hoped for, that would be fine if I were describing the impact that faith has in my life. Faith gives me assurance of the things that I hope for, right? It gives me enough assurance to actually live my life in light of what I'm hoping for. But in its essence, what faith is, is not my subjective assurance of something being true. It is an object that is being given to me that leads to that result. Really important to understand this distinction. Around the time that this letter to the Hebrews was being written, this word that's translated here as assurance uh, was used to describe the basic essence or the nature of something. So, for example, it appears in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 to describe Jesus or describe what Jesus is. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact representation of God's nature. Nature is the word that's used here in Hebrews 11.1. Now that's obviously not talking about Jesus being the radiance of God's assurance. Right? It's not being the radiance of God's confidence. Jesus is the radiance of God's substance. He is the radiance of God's nature. He's the radiance of God's essential being. Everything that God is, it radiates from Jesus. So there's no way to ever see who God is or what He's like if you are not willing to look to God the Son. Because God the Son is the radiance of what the Father is. God the Son is the exact representation of everything that makes God God. Right? Well, that is what faith is when compared with things we are hoping for. It is the nature of those things being pressed upon us. Follow me here. Faith is the nature or the reality of things that we are hoping for being presently manifested within us. So what are we hoping for in God? What are we hoping for in Christ? We're hoping for forgiveness. We're hoping for cleansing. We're hoping for the, uh, being accredited righteousness before his throne through Jesus Christ. We are hoping for a new heaven. We are hoping for a new earth, a place where righteousness dwells. We are hoping for the resurrection from the dead, that when we lay our bodies down, that's not the end of the story. Sin does not win. God wins, and he's won through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're hoping for. What faith is, faith is the substance of all that we are hoping for being pushed into our souls so that the realities that we're hoping in actually become tangible to us in time. So even though we don't have the full reception of the things that we're hoping for, they're still future. We're still looking for them. We haven't received them in all their fullness. We still have received something of their essence. The reality that God has promised us has been gifted to us, if you will. And we sense something of their reality now, and that is what faith is. Faith is a conviction, yes, but it is a conviction of those things that are unseen. It's a conviction that they're real. It is the reality of those things being pressed in upon us. That's why I like the New King James Version. I think that they got it best from the King James that faith is the substance of things hoped for. You with me? In other words, faith is not merely, this is why this is important, okay? We're going to talk about more of why this is important as time goes on this morning. Faith is not merely a decision that you and I have chosen to make in order to follow after God. Faith is not merely us stirring up our volition, choosing to use our will to act on something. That is not the essence of faith. That is what faith does. It's the result of faith. Some of you are wondering, man, why is he so animated about this? What in the world is so important about this? Well, here's what it's getting at. Faith in its essence is a present manifestation or a present realization or you could say a present actualization 
of the reality of the things that God has promised to give us in His Son, even though we have not yet received those things. Faith is, in its essence, the reality of those things, the substance of them, being pressed in upon our perception of what is real. So, in other words, you cannot believe in the truth about Jesus Christ unless you are given faith. Because faith is the substance of the truth of Jesus being gifted to you and pressed in upon your soul. You're not with me. I know you're not with me. Let me, listen, I told you I was nervous about this message, okay? Let me, I'm trying to convey something to you, and I know I'm failing. I will fail to do this. But I found some other men from history who wrestled with the same thing. And I think that they've worded it a little better than I can. So I'm going to quote them just to give you a sense of what I'm trying to say, all right? John Gill. Anyone heard of John Gill? I know you have. Yeah. You have. Yeah. John Gill was a Baptist pastor in the 1600s. Right? Theologian. He's probably the best Baptist theologian up until Andrew Fuller, in my opinion. John Gill said concerning the things that are hoped for, when he was describing faith as the substance of things hoped for, here's how he said it. Faith gives a kind of possession of those things we're hoping for beforehand. Faith gives a kind of possession of those things we don't yet have. We don't have them in hand. We're not seeing them with our eyes. We have not yet attained to the resurrection from the dead. We are not yet glorified fully in our Lord Jesus Christ. But what faith does, faith gives us in some measure a possession of those ends right now. So we can know what it's like to be made glorified in Jesus because in some way we've been redeemed in Jesus now and our souls are tasting of what that glory is going to be like. We don't know what it's going to be like to behold the glory of Jesus with our physical eyes. But right now, with the eyes of our hearts, we have been enabled to see something of His glory. And that has drawn us more after Him. That's what faith is. It's the awakening of the heart. It's the opening of the eyes. It's the imparting of ears that hear and see and understand the truth of God so that you can then live in light of it. So according to Gill, faith is something that gives us a kind of possession of the things we are hoping for before we actually receive them. John Owen. You guys know John Owen. I love John Owen. John Owen tried to unpack what this verse means in a few different ways. So you can even, if, if you're familiar with reading Owen at all, you know that he is a dense writer. You got to spend a lot of time working through John Owen. But when you come to a section where John Owen makes a statement and then follows up that statement with like five, six, or seven, or ten qualifying statements, you know that you've come to something that's really, really hard to understand, really difficult to explain. That's what happened here whenever I was reading Owen. When he got to explaining this verse, all of a sudden he branched out into trying to unpack what it's saying with like seven different statements. And I just want to read you a few of them that I think help capture the essence of what we're talking about when we're talking about faith being the substance of things that are hoped for. He says, uh, faith is the reality of what we hope for being made effectual in our lives. What does he mean by that? Well, his next statement says, faith gives unto the soul a taste of the good things we are hoping for. Faith gives unto the soul a taste of the good things we're hoping for. And you can see that language in the scriptures, right? First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, I think, or is it chapter first? No. Verse 3? Somebody correct me. Yeah, I correct the preacher this morning. We are to long for the spiritual milk of the word, whereby we might grow up unto salvation, 
if indeed we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. If you've tasted the goodness of the Lord, then you are to crave more tastes of the goodness of the Lord. And where you're going to find that is in his word. That's what Peter's saying in 1 Peter 2. That's what Owen is bringing out here. What faith does, faith brings those good things that we're hoping for and gives us a present experience of them. Even though it's not in full measure, it's still in part and it's real. What does he mean by that? Well, he goes on to explain it further. Faith gives an experience of the power of the things we're hoping for. Faith is the experience of the power of the things we're hoping for. You hear that language in Hebrews 6, right? They've tasted of the goodness of the Word of God and of the powers of the age to come. That's what Owen's bringing out here when he talks about faith being something that is, that is granting to us a, 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 a spiritual knowledge of these things that we are hoping for, allowing us to feel their impact in the now, even though they're not yet going to be ours until the future. In their fullness anyway. Well, Owen, what does that mean? He goes on further. Faith then communicates the first fruits of the things we're hoping for to us in the present. So it's not in the substance. It's not the whole crop that we're getting. The whole crop of glory that Jesus has prepared for us. That's not Faith doesn't give us everything right now in this moment. But it does give us the first fruits of it. So that we taste the goodness of what God is gathering in in His Son. This harvest that He's going to be gathering in. Then He gives another statement. Let me read this one. Faith gives a... Now listen to this one carefully, okay? Listen to this one really carefully. By perk up a little bit, sit up straight, stretch around, see if you can get that blood flowing a little bit, and listen to this one. Owen says, Faith gives a representation of their beauty and glory unto the minds of them that believe. It gives a representation, quote-unquote, of the beauty and the glory of these things we're hoping for. It gives a representation of them to our minds whereby we behold those things as if they were present. So faith gives us a sense of the beauty and the glory of the things that God has promised for those who believe in Him. He is, it, it gives us a sense of that beauty and glory in such a degree that it actually causes those things that are not yet ours to be brought to us in a sense as though they were real in the present. I, I botched it. See, I can't, I can't take what these guys are saying and, and unfold it for, for you guys, but... Let me read that one more time. It gives a representation of their beauty and glory unto the minds of them that believe, whereby they behold those things as if they were present. Now that last statement, that is really the one that's getting at the heart of what is being said here in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the reality of what still awaits us in the future being realized or pressed upon us in the present. In its essence, faith is the soul being gripped by unseen realities that God has promised to give us. And then in response to that, when we have faith, when our eyes have been opened to see these things, we respond to it in faith by living our lives in light of it. So that's one way that the Holy Spirit has defined Faith, here in verse 1. Now he adds a second statement to that definition that helps unpack just a little more fully what is being said here. Not only is faith the substance of the things we're hoping for being pressed in upon us, that substance of what we're hoping for being taken and just shoved in our souls so that we know the reality of them, but it's also defined here as the conviction of things that are not seen. Now again, the NASB, though it's my favorite translation, really let me down on this one. The gift of faith leads to a solid conviction of things that we do not see. But again, this verse is not primarily talking about the effect that faith has. It's talking about the nature of faith in and of itself. So faith is not 
a resultant conviction in my heart. Faith is something that is being given to me that leads to conviction. All right? So again, what would be a better word to translate this? I think, again, the New King James Version gets it right. Might be switching translations here soon. It says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Now, evidence and conviction, you can see how those are two different things. Right? You present evidence. And it leads to a conviction about what's right. But the evidence is not a conviction in itself. Okay? This word in Greek is actually the, uh, the word for proof. Faith is the proof of things that are not seen. Now that's interesting to me. People say, well, give me proof that God exists and I'll believe in Him. Or give me proof that His promises are true and I will believe them. Or give me proof that Jesus Christ is Lord and I will believe it. Well, this verse says here that faith is the proof of those things. And I'll tell you, as a believer, as one who spent time running in the world and who was awakened to these truths, I know that when you are given the gift of faith, that is all the proof that you need to know that God exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Really, what this is getting at is the fact that faith itself is the evidence that the things we cannot see actually do exist. Faith is not only built on evidence. I said last week that we're not talking about faith as a blind leap into the dark. We're not talking about faith as a response to something that is utterly unknown and unknowable and something that God has given us no proof about. That's not what we mean when we're talking about faith. Right? Faith is not only built on evidence, though, it is also evidence itself. So let me, let me explain that. The fact that I actually do believe in Christ is evidence that Christ is real. The fact that I actually do believe in the saving power of His blood, the fact that I have experienced the cleansing power of His blood, that is evidence that it's real. The fact that I believe in His resurrection and His righteousness, the fact that I believe in heaven and hell, the fact that I believe in a triune God of all glory, the fact that I believe in the reality of a new heaven and a new earth that one day God will usher into this world, the fact that I believe that in light of the first fruits that Christ has already brought in, the fact that I believe in the glorious work of His Son living a perfect life of fellowship with God and dying a substitutionary death on the cross for me, the fact that I believe these things is itself a proof of the reality of these things. Now that's not saying that faith makes those things real. Okay? What it's saying is that faith is the reality of those things being made known to me. That's what faith is. Yeah? 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 Okay. All right. I'm going to trust that you're still with me. All right, let's see if we can sew this up a little bit and uh, bring some clarity. Because faith is, in its nature... The gift of God. It is God taking realities that we cannot see, realities that He has promised us, and pressing them in upon our souls. Because that's what faith is. Faith then becomes the proof of the reality of those things through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let me see if I can explain that a little differently with other passages in Scripture that are describing the same thing. So in Ephesians 1.18, for example, 1.18 and 19, I wanted to have these together, so I'm sorry for the small print there. But look how it describes, really, what we're talking about is a life of faith. And look how it describes faith in the life of a believer. It describes faith as knowing the hope of God's calling us to himself. 
It describes it as knowing the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Not just having the knowledge that God is redeeming a people for his own possession and will one day be glorified in that people who are his own possession, but actually coming to the point where you are knowing the reality of the riches of that glory. You are knowing what it means to be one of those who are being redeemed for his own possession. It's not something you're convincing yourself of, but you are ushered into this reality where that is the ultimate truth you are living by. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about faith. That doesn't become true by me acting on my own volition and choosing to believe in it. That is a truth, and whenever it becomes true for me, it is simply the reality of that truth being pressed in upon me, or me being awakened to see it. It goes on. It it describes faith as knowing the surpassing greatness of, of power towards us who believe. Power that is in accordance with the very resurrection of Christ from the dead. Now, Paul lists all of these things out as what it means to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. That is, having, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened is simply having an internal awakening that does not make these things real, but awakens us to the reality of these things. Or as Jesus describes it in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says in verse 11 that most did not believe in the truth about his kingdom and his glory because it had not been granted to them to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Why did they not believe in the truth? Jesus says because it wasn't granted to them to believe in the truth. However, look at how he describes those who do believe the truth. They believe the truth because it had been granted to them. Or you see in verse 16, those who believe are described as having eyes to see or ears to hear the truth. Now, not everyone has eyes to see. Not everyone has ears to hear the truth. So what are we talking about when we're talking about having eyes that see and ears that hear and being granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? We're talking about faith. We're talking about the gift of faith that enables us to see what is true and to live in light of it. Or you can see this in the way that Paul speaks to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? There's faith. No, I'm just kidding. That's not faith. That's a rebuke. Just checking to see if you're awake. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose... Now listen to this. (laughs) Listen to this. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Let me ask you a question. Where was Jesus crucified? Was it in Galatia? Was Jesus publicly put on a cross in Galatia? No, he wasn't. He was put on the cross in Jerusalem, outside of its gate. Right? Golgotha. And yet Paul can say to these people, believers in Galatia that before their very eyes, Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Not the message about Jesus being crucified, but Jesus himself. Now the reason Paul can say that is because when Paul stood in their physical presence before their physical eyes and proclaimed the gospel of a crucified Messiah of the Son of God dying to redeem sinners. The reason Paul can say that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified before them was because in that moment, in the proclamation of that gospel, God chose to open their spiritual eyes in order to perceive realities that they had not seen with their physical eyes, but now were being enabled to see with the eyes of their soul. So when the gospel was preached and they realized the truth of it, They realized the power of it. They realized the hope of the gospel and the power of God revealed in salvation in Jesus. They were awakened to see those things. And in seeing those things, Paul describes it as Jesus being publicly portrayed before them. It's as if to say, 
Their physical eyes did not see these things, but by the grace of God giving them faith, they were able to perceive the reality of them without physical sight. That's the nature of faith. Now, all of this is pointing out that faith is something much more substantive than merely a decision that we are making to follow the Lord. In its essence, it's more than a mere decision. It's not simply a choice that we're making to follow God. It is actually something that is being birthed within us. Something that is convincing us of the truthfulness of unseen realities even though they are not yet brought into full light. So, faith is confidence. And that confidence leads us to make the decision to trust in what we have now come to know to be true. But the essence of faith is not merely a decision to trust in something. It is the result... No. It is the result of the Holy Spirit awakening our souls and opening our spiritual eyes to realities that we cannot yet see with our physical eyes. You understand what we're talking about then when we're talking about the gift of faith? We're talking about regeneration. What is true faith? True faith is being born again so that you can see things that are true to which you were blinded when you were still in your sin. No one becomes a true believer in Christ simply by mentally assenting to the facts of the gospel. Nor do we become believers simply because we convinced ourselves or some pastor convinced ourselves or some evangelist or apologist gave us, you know, 10,000 reasons to believe in Jesus. And all of a sudden, we were reasoned unto believing. That's not how any of us became a believer, even if that was the means by which you became a believer. No, we became believers because Christ made us believers. Or you could put it this way, He remade us into believers. When we became new creatures, we began to see things that we didn't see before. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. You remember the glory of that? Don't you? Do you remember the first time that you had a... Con now, I know this is hard for some of us who grew up in a Christian home, and we, for us, conversion was like a season of 12 years, it seemed. You know? But at some point... There was a moment in time where you all of a sudden were able to perceive spiritual realities to which you were blind before. And you remember the power of that, don't you? I remember the day that the Lord saved me. The only thing I wanted to do was go out and work on my old, broke-down 1964 F100. I didn't know what I was doing. I just wanted to go out there and be alone and revel in the reality of God that I had now been awakened to. Because now God was real. He wasn't just something that someone was teaching me about in Sunday school. He wasn't just something I heard the preacher yelling about on Sundays, as you often hear. God was real to me. Because He awakened me to His reality. He gave me faith. And that faith enabled me to see. That should excite all of us. It should excite all of us. In essence, faith is at the heart of what it means to be born again. This is how the Holy Spirit moves us and causes us to become believers in Christ. He washes our souls in the light of the truth with His almighty power. And we are left, in a sense, irresistibly believing. Because now we see what's real. Now we see what's true. I use this phrase a lot, and I don't want to overuse it. But I hope you know that faith, faith is a supernatural work of God in your life. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then, you, then God has supernaturally touched you. You have had a living encounter with the living God. 
And it has changed you forever. That, that's wonderful. And, and I could get up here and I could give you all these applications and what you should do here and now, but isn't that an application enough? Doesn't that motivate you to want to go pray and to be in the Word and to seek after God's face and to do good things for the glory of His name? God touched me. He brought me out of my sin and He brought me out of death and He brought me into His light and now I see. I see what I couldn't see before. Man, I want to devote my life to Him. I want to live for Him. If that's what God has done for me, what can I do in response? So maybe my closing question is not necessary. My closing question is, why does this really matter? Why is it so important to understand this as, as the essence of true faith? Well, I have three reasons. And I think I can sew them up pretty quickly. First of all, it's very clear. We've already seen, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You cannot please God without living a life of faith. But what understanding this does is it helps us grasp what it means to live a life of faith. What does it mean to devote yourself to God in faith? It doesn't mean ordering your lives according to something that you're not sure is true in hopes that if it all pans out according to what this book says, you'll be on the safe side. Right? Now, listen, I know you're more sanctified than I am, but I've had that thought. I've had that thought. I've thought to myself, man, is all this real? Is all of this true? And you think, well, I mean, goodness, if it is true, I don't, I don't want to be on the opposite side of all this, so let me be on the right side. I've had that thought. That's not faith, though. And that's not what it means to live a life of faith. What it means to live a life of faith, it means that you have become aware of something that is true, something that is real and genuine. You have become awakened to the truth of Jesus Christ. And now you are living every moment of the rest of the days of your life in light of that reality. And let me add this. Don't you find it fascinating that when the writer of Hebrews steps back to encourage these believers to continue persevering in the faith, that he steps back to the point where he's giving a technical definition of what faith is. Isn't that strange to you? When have you ever come up to encourage a group of Christians who are suffering by saying, hey, now, you know what faith is, right? I've never done that. But here, this is where the writer of Hebrews is starting. Doesn't that tell us something about the importance of having a right understanding of faith? So that when you are walking through the various circumstances and trials that are going to come upon you, you know how to walk through that trial in a way that honors God. When your jobs and your livelihoods are being threatened, for whatever reason, it doesn't have to be a vaccination mandate, it can be anything else. When it's being threatened, this kind of faith in realities that are unseen will be the only thing to strengthen you to walk through that season in a way that actually honors and glorifies God. When temptation and sin burst in upon you, and you're being that 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 mouse is just like a magnet to your hand, and you just want to take that mouse and go click on that website. Faith is what's going to enable you to walk through that time of trial in a way that glorifies God. When you believe, wait, wait, no, 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 I can't do this. 
This is, this is dishonoring to God. This is degrading to another human being that is made in the image of God. This is probably the product of slavery and sex trafficking. I can't do that. More than that, what is it going to cost me in the end? Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, what should you do with it? Cut it off. Because what's going to happen if you don't? You're going to hell with your hand. You can keep your hand if you want, but you're going to be in hell with it. When that temptation is coming to take up the bottle, drink away your sorrows, give yourself meaning and purpose, or maybe just drown the fact that you're not feeling like you have meaning or purpose, You've got to believe in that moment that God's promises and purposes for you in Christ are greater than that. You're not going to find anything of substance in the bottom of a bottle. When you're struggling in your marriage, when your wife is not submitting to you the way that God has called her to, she's being disrespectful, disruptive to the family, how are you going to walk through a season like that? in a way that honors God and glorifies Him. In a way that's not belittling your wife or degrading her, but actually treating her the way God's called you to treat her. How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that when your husband's a bum and he's not loving you the way Christ called him to love you? He's not laying his life down for you as Christ laid his life down for the church. He's a selfish, ungrateful hypocrite. How are you going to submit to a man like that and really live as a godly wife in that kind of marriage? Only by faith in realities that are unseen and knowing that if you do what God's called you to do, you will be doing His will and in the end you will get your reward. You can put this in anything. When you feel betrayed by a spouse, when you get news about cancer, when you feel like you're being unfairly treated by family and friends, when you're being maligned and you're being discriminated and you're being oppressed and abused, the only thing that's going to keep us walking through those trials and situations in a manner that actually brings honor and glory to God is by walking through them in light of the realities of His grace and glory that He has made known to us by faith. That's number one. Number two. I heard someone laugh. Why is this important? Well, because it provides a clear way for us to test ourselves to see if we actually are in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? Now, these are commands. Test yourself. Examine yourself. How are you going to test your faith and find out whether your faith is genuine? You know, so many people have made a decision to follow Jesus in the past, but that's all that has happened. They made a decision. And that decision has not impacted the rest of their lives. There's never been this kind of substantive change brought about by the substance of unseen things being pressed in upon them. Which is why for many of them, their professions of faith have not impacted their lives very much. By holding up what faith is, you can compare what you have and call faith to it and see whether or not what you have is genuine. Lastly, understanding this gives assurance to those who recognize that true faith is present in their lives. To see this kind of faith in, our, in ourselves, this substance of things hoped for, this proof, evidence of things that are not seen, to see that present in our lives means that God has indeed begun a good work in us. And even during those times when it is hard to see, when it's hard to keep our sight on those unseen realities, we know that God has awakened us to them in the past because we're believing in them. No matter how small that faith may get at times, it's still real and it's still rooted in something that is real. The dullness in your perception will not undermine the holy and purposeful work that Jesus Christ has begun in you. 
In other words, the, the author of your faith will get the glory for being the perfecter of it. Okay? And so when you recognize that this kind of faith is in you, you can take heart. You can believe that no matter how bad things are, no matter how much you're stumbling, no matter how much you're not perceiving the reality of grace, you can still come to the gentle and the lowly Jesus knowing that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He who began that work in me yesterday will continue to complete that work in me forever. Matthew 12, man, this is one of my favorite verses. A battered reed he will not break off, a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. We who have hope in this Jesus, beloved, we need to remember the beginnings of God's work in our hearts and we need to make sure we do not abandon the life of faith that He's called us to live in response to it. Right? We walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. We don't judge God based on our feeble sense. Rather, we are to hold fast in faith to the realities God has made known to us. And we are to press on in living a life of faith until the coming one comes. So hold fast, beloved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what your word reveals to us about the truth of walking with you in faith and what it means. God, I thank you for what you have made known to us. Lord, you have revealed your will to us according to the good pleasure of your will. I thank you for showing us Jesus. And that by your grace and by the ministry of the Spirit, realities that were accomplished 2,000 years ago and even further back, the reality of those things have been made known to us and we can live surely in light of them. God, give us grace to live a life of faith. Fill us with your spirit. Encourage us with your truth and let us offer unto you lives of worship for the sake and the glory of your holy name. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. May he equip you in every good work and every, uh, to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. May you go forth and find that blessing this week. Amen.